news director at KBOO.org. Join KBOO every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for Counterspin, a show that provides a critical examination of major media stories and exposes what the mainstream media missed. Counterspin exposes and highlights censored stories, sexism, racism, and homophobia in the news, the power of corporate influence, gaffes and goofs by leading TV pundits, and more. That's every Friday at 5.30 p.m. here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. Connect with your favorite community radio station on social media. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash kboomradio. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash kboo. We also have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash kboo.radio. We also provide content to the free music archive. An interactive library of high-quality legal audio downloads. That's at freemusicarchive.org slash curator slash kboo. You can find all of this and more on the KBOO website, kboo.fm. Thanks for listening. KBOO News In-Depth, where we take a deeper look at the top news stories impacting our community. I'm speaking with Kay Rambo, editor-in-chief at Street Roots, about their newest issue. It includes coverage of important local races in the upcoming midterm election and what candidates' positions are on the issues of housing and homelessness. Welcome to KB News In-Depth, Kay. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So for this week's edition of Street Roots, you interviewed two candidates running for Portland City Commission, seat number three, Joanne Hardesty and the challenger, Renee Gonzalez. So in doing this coverage, what were some of the important issue areas that you wanted to highlight in your interviews? The big things broadly that we focused on were housing and homelessness. Um, We really wanted readers to get a sense for what these candidates saw as the main causes of, of homelessness and the affordability crisis and what they saw as the solutions to both of these issues. So those are the kind of broad strokes what we really focus on. So let's dig into what Commissioner Hardesty had to say. What is her approach to solving the housing crisis in Portland? It's certainly multifaceted. Um, You know, it it relies a lot on land banking, um, which, you know, is essentially this idea of the city um, and, you know, kind of beyond Hardesty's control, the county and the state, um, building up as much public land as they can around Portland um, you know, including eminent domain where the city can seize, you know, buildings that are kind of left in disrepair and start to try to create, you know, a, a more robust structure of public development of affordable housing, in addition to creating more temporary shelters, kind of emergency shelters, as well as transitional housing, like single room occupancy type stuff that um, could feasibly give folks a little more stability as they're, um, you know, waiting to get into permanent affordable housing. And you touched on this a little bit, but how much of the problem solving around the affordability crisis as in regards to housing in Portland 
How much of that is up to the city versus higher levels of government, be that county, state, federal? Well, you know, there, there's kind of everybody's got a role to play here, right? Um, the state can create laws around rent increases, which, you know, uh, Hardesty brings it up, but it's, it's been an, an important topic of discussion recently uh, that, you know, landlords with the state's blessing can raise rent by more than 14% in January. Um, you know, the state certainly can, can do a lot along the lines of funding, um, you know, whether that's public development or, you know, as we've seen with things like Project Turnkey that turn, um, you know, vacant hotels into transitional single room occupancy uh, shelters. And then, you know, the county has a huge role to play in uh, the construction of affordable housing. Um, but, you know, the city does as well. And, and I think the city has traditionally, especially recently, what we've seen is the city awarding contracts for affordable housing developments, right? And, um, you know, Hardesty has some issues along the lines of, you know, the, when the city is contracting with a private developer and a private owner to create affordable housing, generally there's an expiration date on how long that housing has to be affordable. Hardesty's belief, and I mean, factually speaking, if the city owned those developments, there wouldn't be, you know, that expiration date necessarily. You know, I think the other thing that, that Hardesty, and I talk about it in the article, it's apparent just her level of frustration with the amount of resources that the city and a county are putting toward housing and homelessness. Specifically, she's speaking to the city and, and how little of a result we seem to get from that. Um, and I think, you know, she describes eminent domain as, as a nuclear option in a nuclear situation. So I think her perspective is really that, you know, things are bad enough right now that um, you can't just keep sweeping people. You can't just keep focusing on, you know, more and more emergency shelter beds. Like you've, you've really got to do something that could feasibly result in, um, you know, having a, a kind of a, a long-term solution to homelessness. Um, you know, I think the thing about her proposals is, you know, there isn't really a lot to compare them to in terms of like, has this worked elsewhere, right? So I think that's, you know, kind of the question that, that remains to be seen. And, and then obviously it would require buy-in from the other members of city council. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question about this idea of land banking. I think it is a pretty novel one, not one that I've been exposed to much as an approach to deal with the affordable housing crisis. But I think something worth highlighting is not just that rents need to be stopped at where they are, but a lot of the approaches that are more commonly in the conversation don't result in lower rents. That's correct. And that's that's something that I ask. I mean, I've you know interviewed however many candidates so far this election cycle. And I've asked all of them kind of that same question. You know, the, the data shows you can address the housing shortage. More development tends to kind of slow the rate of rent increases. It tends to stabilize them. We don't get this kind of, you know, like Redfin, according to their data, the average rent in Portland increased by 40% in 2021 alone. Those are the types of things that historically have been avoided when you don't have a housing shortage, right? But what the data also shows is that just by building more housing, it doesn't lower rent. Um, I, I'd have to find the direct quote. You know, it was essentially like 
we've basically never seen rent go down as a result of more development. So, you know, I think Hardesty's belief was really that, you know, you can't leave affordability up to market forces. You can't leave it to the good nature of developers or landlords because at the end of the day, their job is to make money. I think her, her belief is that the city needs to step in more to provide kind of that funding to nonprofit housing developers because they're not all out there just to make money. So the majority of them are. Um, and so that was really her idea as far as addressing that. It was kind of creating, like I said, this more robust infrastructure of housing that isn't dependent on what I, I think in a lot of ways right now are, are folks kind of misreading how the housing market works, particularly rental housing, and you know, not relying on the hope that if we build enough housing, all of a sudden you can live on minimum wage in Portland anymore. That's just not really feasible, you know. So how does all of this tie into Hardesty's approach to the homeless crisis? Where does she land on sweeps and stuff of that nature? Hardesty's, like I said in the article, kind of consistently been the most progressive voice on on city council, you know, which is, is part of why it seems like the folks who like her like her a lot, folks who don't really don't. Um, but, you know, she is not a fan of sweeps. She doesn't think they're effective or efficient. Um, she doesn't see it as anything that leads to any positive long-term outcomes and um, just kind of pushes people from here to there, which I think objectively is true, right? Like we, we can say at this point that sweeps are not putting people into housing. Does it temporarily remove something that a homeowner or, or a renter may dislike in their neighborhood? Does it make them maybe feel more safe or more comfortable? Sure. But, you know, I think I think Hardesty's focus is more looking at that from a systemic perspective um, and, and understanding that, you know, the, the problems, if you just keep sweeping people and you just keep building shelters or adding beds in places that don't really fit people's individual circumstances or put them any closer to permanent stability, you're unlikely to, to ever really address the homelessness crisis. I want to move now to her challenger, Renee Gonzalez, who is a newcomer to Portland politics. To what does he credit the houseless crisis in Portland? Where does he say that it comes from? When asked that question, he kind of commented Portland's homelessness population into two main groups. Um, one of them being people who suffer from uh, substance abuse and the other ostensibly a group that doesn't. But his, his focus was certainly much more on folks who are dealing uh, with abuse or addiction. And I think for, for people who use drugs or um, experience some sort of, you know, substance use disorder, um, his belief was that it's the fact that they use drugs. And um, it certainly seemed to be, from his perspective, that that is a very substantial portion of the homelessness population, just based on um, the amount of time he spent talking about it. Um, you could tell, you know, he, he thought a lot about that as being a particular problem. Um, so I'd say that's that's kind of the closest maybe um, Rene Gonzalez got to really giving what he felt was, was the issue. Um, he did acknowledge there's an affordability crisis here. He did talk about you know, people who are doing what they can and they can't make ends meet, um, but made it clear that he felt that that is, um, you know, a, a fairly small part of the homeless population. I found it very interesting that he was speaking so much about 
Measure 110 and what impact the drug decriminalization may have had. Yeah, it, you know, it's an interesting thing. And, and um, I told him during the interview, and it's in the article as well, that's, that's really something that um, every Republican I've spoken with has brought up as being kind of this, this issue with Portland, this issue with homelessness, the issue with, um, you know, substance abuse and addiction. Um, and, you know, Rene Gonzalez identifies as a, identifies himself as a lifelong Democrat. Um, I think his Twitter calls him a, a centrist problem solver. Um, you know, and he certainly he's publicly supports, uh, you know, right to abortion, gun control, um, but, you know, I found some of these things pretty interesting because they are pretty conservative. Um, and yeah, he he kind of laid out addiction as being the main cause and pointed to measure 110 as being a contributing factor, um, which, again, it, it was a very similar conversation that I had with um, Christine Drazen or Joe Ray Perkins, which is, OK, well, you know, measure 110 didn't go into effect until last year. Right. And and. All of the data suggests that addiction had been increasing. Uh, it had been a problem, but when it really skyrocketed was early 2020. And that wasn't just Portland. That wasn't just Oregon. That was a global issue. I mean, the United Nations uh, actually issued a report on the increase of addiction, especially early in the pandemic when folks were, you know, pretty isolated in a lot of places. Um, so, you know, that's something that I've, I've been pushing back on and kind of saying, well, how do you draw that connection? And, uh, you know, Gonzalez acknowledged it's a hunch. He said he didn't have data to support that, but, you know, that's what his belief was. You know, he seemed to tie it into, and, and I suspect it's something you want to talk about, but his um, opinion that, you know, port, homeless Portlanders, uh, he referred to them as a migratory element. But, you know, and again, that's that kind of tie between drug decriminalization and this idea of undesirables flooding to this area, which, you know, I, I use that hyperbolically. The idea of decriminalizing drugs, possession of drugs here, having a connection to the homelessness population or being something that's attracting people from other areas that these particular candidates feel, um, you know, are, are, are problematic elements in, in Portland. Um, was certainly something I heard from conservatives and Republicans. Um, and Rene Gonzalez was really the first Democrat who kind of made that a, a central belief um, in his campaign. So what are his ideas about solving the homeless and housing crisis in Portland? The big thing for Rene Gonzalez, um, to me, it's very similar to, you know, what we've heard from Mayor Wheeler or um, you know, I think some of these more, um, you know, these proposals that rely a lot more on enforcement, um, you know, it's, it's a focus on creating alternative shelters essentially as a way to then justify increased enforcement, um, against homeless Portlanders. And that's certainly, you know, Renee's pretty honest and pretty open about the fact that, you know, he wants to create emergency shelters and, um, if people don't want to go there, then they're going to have a problem with the city. Um, you know, he did single out people who are um, who use drugs and don't want to go, um, which, again, talking about shelters, his belief that a lot of his belief was that a lot of people don't go to shelters because they want to use hard drugs. And 
um, shelters preclude them from doing so. And, um, you know, the question was that that kind of spurred that conversation was, okay, well, your focus is on emergency shelters. A ton of folks don't use them because they have, you know, privacy concerns, safety concerns. They can't take their pet. They can't take their partner. You know, there's, uh, they feel they lose agency. They can't, you know, come and go as they, they please as they would in a tent or in, you know, alternatively in, a, in their own home. Um, you know, and, and he actually asked me, well, do you include people who are using hard drugs in that? You know, so just kind of going back to that theme, you know, and he said, you know, I have the quote right here, I believe. He said, I probably lean toward with respect to those uh, that are suffering from substance use disorder or just don't want to go to shelter because they can't use hard drugs, regardless of what their status is. I probably end up a little bit tough on that question. Say, you cannot camp. We're going to take your tent away um, if there's adequate shelter space offered, right? So it's, it's I think, um, really, you know, a continuation of, of some of the existing policies that we see from the city. Um, I think, you know, there's two schools of thought on this, right? Does do um, emergency shelters and sweeps work? Um, you know, is the way the city's currently doing it working? You know, I think both of these candidates would say no. Um, you know, Commissioner Hardesty, I think her belief is that it's just not working because it simply doesn't work, that you can't just force people into an emergency shelter. And even if you did, that doesn't produce long-term stability. I think from what Gonzalez seems to want to do, um, it's much more the idea that we need to kind of upscale things like we saw during the Old Town Reset, where, um, you know, it was all about kind of adding to the city's numbers of shelter beds and then sweeping aggressively and trying to offer people those shelter beds, uh, you know, I think is, from their perspective, the ideal way of handling it. And what does Gonzalez have to say in terms of addressing housing affordability? So Gonzalez was really focused on lowering costs for developers, um, you know, and kind of streamlining the permitting process, which um, I haven't talked to anybody yet who doesn't agree that that the city could handle their development uh, or construction permitting process more efficiently. Um, but, you know, his, his focus was really on lowering the cost for developers, which he felt, um, you know, are kind of passed on to the, passed on to the, to the, to potential renters. You know, he didn't have a, a ton of specific ideas of, of how to address that. Um, one of them was getting rid of, um, essentially a one-time fee that developers pay when they put up a new building because, you know, there's going to be increased street traffic, increased sewer usage. Um, so, you know, they, they basically pay a little bit of money toward the needed expansion of, of public infrastructure. Um, you know, another thing he specifically brought up was um, renter protections that he felt are maybe harming renters. And then, um, you know, the inclusionary zoning in Portland, which requires developers to create, you know, a certain number of um, affordable housing units in the new development. So, which he felt increased the cost of development, you know, and again, I, I mean, there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't a ton of, here's my plan, right? Like you talk to some candidates, they, they have a very clear set of steps. And I don't mean goals. I don't mean benchmarks, I mean steps. Like we will do this to get to this, to get to this, and eventually we produce this result. 
Um, Gonzalez didn't have much of that when I spoke with him, um, or at least his answers didn't contain that information. I, I don't know if he, he he has that somewhere, and it just um, you know wasn't wasn't part of his answers. Um, but you know the the, the focus for him um, really all seemed to come back to lowering the cost for developers, increasing development. Um, and in his mind, that is the solution to housing affordability. Um, I, you know, you brought it up earlier in this conversation about kind of the fact that the data indicates you can address a housing shortage, you can create more and more rental housing stock. Um, it doesn't actually decrease rents, right? What it does is, is kind of decrease the rate at which those rents go up. Um, he disagreed with that finding. He disagreed with that report. Um, and he brought up um, real estate prices in Texas, which did decrease and, and brought up, you know, that there was more supply than demand, which um, I guess I'll, I'll leave that one up to the readers to decide whether or not that is necessarily applicable in, in this instance when we're talking about rental housing in Portland. Zooming out from doing this coverage, what are the most important differences between the approaches for the candidates for Portland City Commission seat three? What are the, the highlights of their distinctions, I suppose? I, I think the big thing is, you know, do voters want kind of this upscaled, more aggressive form of, you know, emergency sheltering, sweeping, um, you know, higher enforcement, that sort of thing? Or, you know, do they want an also upscaled, also aggressive, um, you know, focus on creating more, you know, city-owned housing, more public-owned housing, um, you know, kind of something that's that's maybe a little more focused on the long-term, whereas I think Gonzales is really focused on the short-term and kind of addressing the immediate concerns that, that um, a lot of voters who, you know, I think likely skew a little more affluent, um, you know, have about housing and homelessness in Portland because, you know, the, the, the focus on cleaning up the streets and cleaning up our neighborhoods is certainly much more present in his messaging and in his plans than, you know, let's say getting homeless people a place to live or making rent more affordable, right? And so I think, you know, he really, he really reflects the concerns of folks who um, maybe aren't too worried about the affordability of rent. Maybe they aren't too worried about, um, you know, whether or not their their teenager is going to be able to support themselves in Portland uh, after they graduate from high school, you know, things like that. Um, and I think, you know, Hardesty, you know, her, her focus really is on, um, you know, she would tell it, you know, making sure that Portland is a place that the next generation can afford a place to live if they're working class or poor. Um, you know, which, which isn't, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't say that to draw a value judgment necessarily, but, you know, I think my observation is really that um, these are two people who are speaking from very different perspectives and, and um, with very different supporters on the same issues. Well, I really appreciate you breaking that down for us. And in the newest issue of Street Roots, there's a lot of great election coverage for stuff across the ballot. What else can folks find in this issue of Street Roots? Yeah, um, I mean, we have a ton on, um, you know, the 
charter reform measures, both the city and, and the county, which um, the county hasn't gotten a ton of attention, but um, it could create ranked choice voting in Multnomah County. So that's very important. Um, Multnomah County Chair Piper McDaniel interviewed Jessica Vega-Peterson and Sharon Mirren. I really encourage folks to read that. Um, if you are interested in housing and homelessness, um, Multnomah County holds a, a lot of the keys and a lot of the money um, in terms of addressing those things. Um, we have three different measures on school funding, including PCC um, and a couple local school districts. And then um, there's also a, a really important update in this paper about, um, well, the police uh, homicide of Irvin Jones, which took place in, the, in 1945. Um, readers will know that Street Roots released a very thorough investigative report in June written by Melanie Henshaw about the death of Irvin Jones um, and also about the trauma that his family is, is still experiencing almost 80 years later. Um, at the time, the county and, and the state impaneled um, essentially two separate all-white juries, which found that the uh, detective with the police department acted um, you know, in, in service of his duties by um, killing Irvin Jones. You know, historians we've spoken to compare it to um, the Breonna Taylor murder, where, you know, there was kind of a no-knock uh, raid, although in this case there was no warrant, even one given under false pretenses. Uh, but, you know, the, the uh, district attorney's office um, is supports changing actually the death certificate to no longer refer to Irvin Jones's death as a justifiable homicide. Um, the DA's um, Justice Integrity Unit is currently basically trying to figure out who has the power to change a death certificate um, and the DA himself supports changing it. Uh, Melanie Henshaw, who wrote the original story as well as the follow-up, um, spoke with Ardodia Jones Perry, who was Irvin Jones's daughter um, she was actually in the home when he was killed in 1945, the sole survivor of, of that um, incident, and uh, as well as Irvin Jones' granddaughter, um, Ardodia's daughter, Rhonda Winbush, um, just to talk to them a little bit about, you know, what, what this would mean for their family and the type of, of closure and healing they could get from kind of finally, finally having um, the county acknowledge what really happened and, and what their family really experienced. If folks are interested in reading more, how can they find the paper? Go out and find a vendor. Um, they are at, you know, most of the busy places. You can also go to uh, Street Roots website and find a list of the more popular spots to find a vendor. Um, I mean, if you if you go to Street Roots office on Northwest Davis, um, you will certainly find a vendor at some point. Um, if you if you can't find them at a at a at a haunt near you so um get out there and i think you'll find one eventually very cool well kate rambo from street roots thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today yeah thank you for for having the time for kboo news in depth i'm althea billings
You're listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR 